Some of you will know um, of the, the name Payne Stewart. Payne Stewart was a very successful professional golfer. And uh, you will also know, if you know anything of the life of Payne Stewart, is that he was killed in a plane crash. Payne Stewart was um, one of a growing number, actually. It seems as though uh, God is doing quite a work amongst professional golfers, as he is in various other sports as well. Payne Stewart had become a Christian. He'd become a Christian through his agent. His agent was a man named uh, Robert Farley. And Robert Farley... Uh, was a Christian uh, and a very committed Christian and spent time talking to Payne Stewart. Uh, they were also um, friends together with a very well-known uh, Christian leader by the name of R.C. Sproul. And he tells this story. On, on his wall, he's got in a case uh, a slightly charred book. And somebody asked him, why have you got that book on your wall? He tells this story. Payne, Payne Stewart and Robert Farley were travelling on uh, a plane, the plane that crashed. Robert Farley was killed. In fact, all of those on the plane were killed. Robert Farley was killed. One of the few items found intact was a book uh, of Robert Farley's. In the wreckage, everything was just destroyed. Things were just burnt to a crisp. And yet, in amongst all of that wreckage, there was a book that had survived. It was a book by Herman Baving. The title of the book was The Doctrine of God. And that book survived the crash uh, and is in a case on Sproul's office wall because he was a good friend of both of those men. Now, I don't want to make too much of that. Apart from this, what an amazing picture that when everything else is burnt out, when everything else is destroyed, when everything else is lost, there is one thing, according to the Bible, which is going to remain, which is going to ab abide, which is going to continue, and that is God. <laughs> the doctrine, the, the truth, the teaching... The knowledge of God is the one thing that is going to survive everything. God is the eternal being, according to the Bible. And it's just a tremendous picture. What happens in this world which is being, which is being crushed and broken and bent, and, and as, we, as we go through life, very often we feel as if we are in the middle of that tumble dryer of this world where everything is being churned up and, and, and broken and things are being uh, uh, hurt, hurt is being done and damage is being done. Is there something which is going to survive? The message of the Bible is this, that God engages with this world to make himself known to human beings because he is the one who survives all of that. Uh, and these two people who we read about in this story, as we, we're working through this story of this man called Samson, uh, uh, even if you don't know anything of the Bible, I'm pretty sure you're going to know about Samson. He's the superhero, really, of the Bible. And he's this big, strong, uh, you know, giant of a man, and, and all of these legends uh, uh, that have been 
kind of created through Hollywood of this Tarzan-like figure uh, in the Bible, this bodybuilder of the Bible, who's stronger than anything, who survives. These are two people who begin to introduce us to this man, Samson. Two people who are really going through life, as we saw last, last week, where as God's people, which is what they are, they have ended up in the, in the tumble dryer of this world. And they are being beaten and knocked about and they are being, uh, being crushed. We read that from the, first, the opening verses where we read that because God's people have rejected God and because the Israelites have done evil in the eyes of the Lord, we find that the Lord has delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. So because they've rejected God, God has thrown them again, once again, into the tumble dryer, not not immediately, as we think, to punish them, but to make them to see. You know, sometimes uh, every one of us needs to have a good shake, don't we? We need shaking up. Now, have you ever seen those terrible results of somebody who's been driving a truck, particularly on a motorway, and they've fallen asleep at the wheel, and there's been carnage? We're coming back from from France, and uh, the driving drive through France was fantastic, and then we end up on UK roads, uh, and within a few miles, we've got an articulated lorry that has gone straight across the central reservation through the three lanes of our motorway and ended up in the ditch on the other side, probably because the guy has fallen asleep. What did he need? For his safety, he needed shaking. For his security, he needed shaking. And that's what God is willing to do with his people when they turn away. He's willing to put them into the tumble dryer of life so that they might be shaken to their senses. And so we find that God... Um, shakes them up by putting them in the hands of the Philistines. And then in the middle of that, although we read on six other occasions through the book of Judges, that when they find themselves in that situation, they cry out to God. We realize that when we read this chapter here, they don't. Crisis. And as we saw last week, everything is at stake. The whole of God's purpose of salvation, the whole of his promise, everything that he said he is going to accomplish through this world, which is rooted in a people, God's people, the Israelites, everything that he said he is going to do is at stake. If you and I are believers this afternoon in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are at stake, according to this story here, uh, because God's people are about to be wiped out, because they have turned... And they have not called upon God the way they had on the previous six occasions. What we find now is that Samson comes into the story. And we find, um, just as a little aside, we find that the story of Samson centers around his life in relationship with four women. First woman is his mother. Second woman is his wife. Third woman is a prostitute. And the fourth woman is the antagonist, Delilah. Everybody knows about Samson and Delilah. Four women. That's how we're going to be looking at the story of Samson. Samson's life in the context of four women. And here we see woman number one. Now, just in case you're observing this whole Christian story, this message of the Bible, and one of the things that is in the back of your mind, and you're thinking, you know, one of the reasons I just hate the Bible is because it's so uh, chauvinistic. 
You know, everything that I know about Christianity, all those Christians, they've got a downer on men. That's only down Freudian slip. They've got a downer on, on women. You know, they're just kind of, it's just a downer on women. Everything is that. That's the way the Christian faith is very often portrayed, particularly in the popular media. One of the things that we see here is that God intervenes in a day of crisis, in a day of absolute crisis, and what he brings is dignity to one woman who is unnamed. We don't even know her name. We know her as Manoah's wife. We know that she is unable to have children up to this point in time. And what we see is that God brings dignity through his message to this woman. For the first, we might think, yes, so what? For the first readers, people who would first be reading this account of the book of Judges, they would be blown away. They would be amazed. God is willing to use women to fulfill his promise. We might be shocked that the ancients might have thought that, but that is precisely how the ancients thought. You know that in the history of this world, women have not had the kind of status, actually, which the Bible gives them. The Bible gives them. And God gives them. Because God comes at this point of desperate crisis and he speaks through a woman. We see that the angel of the Lord comes to um, Manoah's wife and... uh, He speaks to her. He says, right, you're going to have a child. And this is the way you're to live. You're to live distinctly different. You're to live remembering who you are. You're to live as a wanderer in the wilderness, not drinking strong drink. And uh, you're going to have this child. And this child, who you are going to have, will become the beginning of the salvation of my people. He's going to become a deliverer of Israel. And uh, the, Manoah's wife goes to Manoah and she says to him, we see in verse 6, uh, A man of God came to me, he looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he said this. She tells him the story, exactly what happened. I'm going to have a child. This is how I'm to live. He's going to become a saviour. <laughs> What's Manoah's response? Well, Manoah is in, an interesting character, actually. Verse 8, he prays. Pray to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Uh, he's kind of thinking, well, if this is real, I'd better hear it from, from God. <laughs> I'd better hear it directly because, after all, I'm only, hear- I'm only hearing it through my wife. Uh, and so... God, in his wonderful grace, visits again. How does he visit? He visits Manoah's wife again while she's out in the field. He doesn't arrive in the family home while Manoah and his wife are at the dinner table. And I know that you prayed, and so I'm here. He comes back to Manoah's wife. He, He gives her an amazing dignity and an amazing engagement. He says, I'm back again. And immediately, what does she do? She goes and gets Manoah. He says, come, come on, quick. He's back again. You better come and hear what this angel of God is saying. Because this is incredible news for us as a people. He's promising that my child is going to become uh, the beginnings of the salvation of our people. You had better come and hear. And, uh, and so we find that Manoah uh, arrives... 
and the woman hurried to, in verse 10, the woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up, verse 11, and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the, the boy's life and work? He asks the question to confirm the answer. Now, I, the first readers would have found this astounding, this next bit. Because effectively what we have here is God's spokesman confirming the message, okay? That's how big it is. I want you to imagine what would it be like if God sent a very visible, very clear, very understandable, but clearly from him, clearly from heaven, so distinct, so different, that he appeared in here and he started speaking to us. That's what it was like for Manoah and his wife. That's the kind of uh, presence that this angel of the Lord had. What should we do? The angel of the Lord replied, or the angel of the Lord answered, your, might, your wife must do all that I have told her. In other words, what does he do? He says, Manoah. It's like he's saying, Manoah, will you listen? You will do everything that I've already told your wife. I've spoken to her already. You've not been willing to listen. What do we have here? I think we have an indication here that Manoah's wife is, is pretty special. We have, even though it doesn't say it, we have a woman who deep down in her heart knows what it is to be faithful to God even though everybody around her is falling apart. She's solid. She's there. She's with it. She's listening. And God is saying to Manoah, even though you are her husband, even though the culture says that your wife is secondary, I will exalt her, I will identify her as somebody who you should have listened to all along because I've been speaking to her all along. But in God's grace, that's not how it worked because another event then takes place. Manoah is blown away by this. It becomes clear to him that this is... Well, up to now, this man who stands there... You now, we read an angel of the Lord. Let's not get our medieval pictures kind of twisting our thinking this person was not wearing weird clothes with feathered wings stuck out the back this looked like a man this looked like a man but at the same time there was a uniqueness and a distinction in this man that when he opened his voice, both Manoah and his wife knew that this was so special it was a messenger from God. That's what's going on. Even though we read Angel of the Lord, we look like a man, but we sound like something which is divine. And so we have that picture. 
we have this man who comes into their presence. So we ask the question, in a messed up, in, in a broken, in a degenerate world, what does it look like when God intervenes? It looks like this. God comes to the broken. Manoah's wife. In cultural terms, she was broken because she couldn't have children. She comes to the anonymous. She doesn't even have a name according to our word. She comes to the second rate in society because she was, after all, only a woman. In cultural terms. And God says, I've arrived. Now do this. Because I am intervening now to bring salvation. It seems as though, even though Manoah asks, he doesn't get any more information than the angel of the Lord has already given to Manoah's wife. But then he says, let, let, let's honour you. Let, let's feed you. One of the important things that we see again and again in the Bible is relationship is expressed through food. Uh, that's one of the things that we see. He says, I'm going to go off and I'm going to get a goat. Let me go and kill it and let's eat together. Let me provide you with a meal. And, uh, and this angel of the Lord says, listen, I'm not going to eat with you. But the angel of the Lord replied, verse 16, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Because Manoah at this point, his eyes are still blinkered. He doesn't really see who this is. He knows that it's special, but he doesn't know who it is. Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what's your name so that we may honour you when your word comes true? And then the next verses are astounding. Because the voice that comes back from this uh, individual is this. Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. That is like, I want to say the word Bible code, but I don't want you to get carried away that it's some sort of weird thing. That's like um, Bible shorthand. That's a good way to put it. Bible shorthand and God. Because the only one whose name was beyond understanding was God himself. How outrageous. That this person should claim that. So Manoah goes away and he gets a goat and an offering. He brings it to the rock. God is intervening here. But what happens when God reveals himself? There's a next step. What happens when he reveals himself? He takes the goat, he sacrifices it brings a grain offering, brings that. And then the, the implication of the text is that there seems as though there is an extraordinary flame that is brought to bear upon the altar. It's not absolutely clear. It might be that Manoah lit the flame. But what we do know is that the flame became extraordinary because it raised itself up towards the heavens. Now, just put yourself, if you would, in ancient Israel sandals for a minute. If you're a man, you're a Manoah. If you're a woman, you're Manoah's wife. There's three of you. You stood there, 
Manoah brings in a sacrifice, he slays the goat, he puts it on the altar, he brings the grain offering, uh, which is what the angel of the Lord has said to be done. There is three of you standing there, and then this flame becomes supernatural in its power, right before your eyes. That's amazing. And then the next thing is terrifying. Because this man who is stood there, then somehow enters into the flame and the smoke and ascends into heaven. And at that moment, it all becomes clear. It becomes clear for Manoah and it becomes clear for his wife because they fall on their face. They are terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified? Wouldn't you be terrified if that happened? But they were terrified for a deeper way, for a deeper reason. They were terrified because suddenly the answer that they got a few minutes earlier where Manoah says, why, where the angel of the Lord says, uh, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. It all falls into place because Manoah says this. We are dead because we've seen God. That's what happens when God reveals himself. We fall down. We've just sung it. I'll fall down in worship of you. That's what happens when we come face to face with the almighty presence of God. We fall down. We are crushed. We are destroyed. We are left with nothing. We're running now into the... Well, we're in the build-up now, aren't we? Between now and Christmas, we're in the X-Factor build-up and all of the other competitions. Ready for, you know, the, the next... Um, have we got the pattern now as well, haven't we? You know, they'll actually release the album in 12 months' time and we'll be amazed and shocked because it'll be number one this Christmas and, you know, maybe somebody will start a great, uh, a great campaign to get somebody else number one. And, you know, we, we've got the story. But one of the things that we see time and time again is people who think they're great at singing <laughs> suddenly come into the presence of people who are really good at singing. Uh, and they end up tearful, they end up broken, they end up destroyed. They think they were great and now they're falling apart. I thought it was great and now I've got nothing. What happens when we come into the almighty presence of God? We come with all of what we think is good about ourselves. And then we face the majesty and the authority and the greatness of God. And what we think is good is nothing. Just, we fall apart. It's what happens again and again and again in the Bible. And Manoah just knows it. He says if we come into the presence of God and... We are what we are. We are destroyed. We are dead. The Bible has said it already. No man can see God and live. Why? Because God is so beyond us, so above us, it's like a match coming into the presence of the sun. It's gone in an instant. That's what it's like. And you might be moving through a process of coming to terms with God and who he is 
when God truly reveals himself to every one of us, there is a point in our lives when we feel broken. We realize truly who we are. That is the best place to be. To realize I've got nothing. In fact, if I come into the presence of this God with who I am, I'm a goner. I'm finished. I'm done in. I'm dead. I can't stand in his presence. And that's what happens for Manoah and his wife. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord in this? In this, who is it? Jesus. Not yet fully clothed in flesh, but appearing in flesh. Appearing as a man. Preparing us. Do you, hear, do you see a little stamp? Do you see a little kind of stepping stone? Do you see how God works? He says, look, let, let me explain. When I make my presence with you, I come in a way that you can, that you can come to terms with. I will relate to you. I'll speak to you. I'll spend time with you. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord does for Manoah at that point and his wife. But it's a preparation. It's like this huge neon sign flashing lights with a great arrow saying, wait for hundreds of years because I'm going to come again. I'm going to come again. I'm going to be present again. And when I'm present again, then I'll do the same. I'll speak to you. I'll, I'll, I'll reach into your brokenness. I'll reach into your desperateness. I will be your saviour. And we see that that is what happens when God reveals himself. He says, I'm coming again. Now, we've got these stepping stones. God says, this is what I am. And Manoah and his wife see this, this amazing sight. They're crushed and they're broken. And it's preparing us for Jesus. But Jesus has been and gone, hasn't he? Jesus has been and gone. He's no longer walking with us. We are now in the same place as Manoah and his wife. We are now waiting for those little, or those great big neon signs that says what happens now. What happens now is that God continues to make his presence with us in just as powerful a way in just as real a way and many in this room know that God is real by the power of the Holy Spirit that's what Jesus said I will send my spirit so that in the intervening time between me returning to heaven and me returning again to this earth you will know that I am real it's just it's just a bit like <laughs> that angel of the Lord but it's saying I'll be, I'll be this great big neon sign because there's going to come a day when I'm coming back. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it because my promises will be fulfilled because I will be the saviour of the world. I will achieve it. And, and so Manoah says, I now see that God is going to be a promise giver. I now know that God is a God who fulfills those promises and it prepares me for something greater. But at least at now it's saying, this this. This salvation is coming. And again, we've got just to, conclude, to look at the last little section here. 
Manoah's response in verse 22 is, we are doomed to die. We have seen God. And again, the next, the next verse is just amazing. Because we see again Manoah's wife, the faithful one, the one who knows God. She comes back and says, do you know what? I love you. I really do love you and I respect you and but you know what you need to get a grip to be honest because look if God had meant to kill us we would not be breathing you know it's ironic isn't it do you think you can come into the presence of God and last a while Manoah do you think you can come into the presence of God and carry on for a while? Don't you realize that if you came into the presence of God, as you know you have, and he had meant to kill you, you would be gone there and then. But you know, the very fact that you can say that means that God didn't intend to kill you. And Manoah's wife gets it. But look at what she says. Because what she says is profound. She says, do you not realize, Manoah, that the only way that we can come into the presence of God, the only way that we can be there and not die, is if he accepts an offering. Look what happens. She says, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. What happens with that offering? It gets destroyed. The angel of the Lord says, I'm not going to eat with you, but I'll accept the sacrifice. The sacrifice gets destroyed so that the relationship between Manoah, his wife, and the angel of the Lord can be secured. And he ascends into heaven. Now just get this. That is like a giant sign for the cross. Because what happens at the cross? The sacrifice gets destroyed, doesn't it? What happens when a sacrifice is destroyed in the Bible again and again? What lasts after the sacrifice? Relationship. The sacrifice gets destroyed and relationship is maintained or restored. Sacrifice gets destroyed. At the cross. But remarkably what happens? Jesus ascends into heaven doesn't he? Three days later he rises from the dead. Forty days later he ascends into heaven. Do you see what's happening? Jesus fulfills everything that we see in this little story. Jesus becomes both the sacrifice that is destroyed. And the angel of the Lord that ascends into heaven. He's both. He's the fulfillment of this. And he says to us today, you are in the same predicament as Manoah and his wife. You in, are in desperate need of a saviour. And I am the one who can become your saviour. Because I am the one who will be crushed and consumed by the flames of heaven. I will be destroyed, but I will at the same time rise again to secure your relationship with a God in heaven. In fact, I'll go there first so that you can know that you can go there as well. That's what we see in this story here. 
There's one final thing which Manoah's wife says, which I think just presses home for us. He's shown us some things. We've learned some things here today. Now we better do it, hadn't we? It's what she says. He wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, nor told us this. God has told us promises for the future in the same way as Manoah and his wife received promises on that day. They received promises, you're going to have a child. He's going to become the saviour. And God gives us promises and he says, there is going to come a day when you will be accountable for what you have heard today because I've sent, I've I've shown you now. It's called Jesus. He's your saviour. Will you listen and will you respond and will you place your hope in him? Before we carry on and continue to the next three phases of the life of Samson, one of the great things is this. Even though they go away and they start to put things in place, they carry on messed up. They really do. Manoah and his wife carry on messed up. Even when they come to the naming of their son. You know, God has done this. What would you call your son after that? Joshua, maybe. Or some derivative of Joshua. Some derivative of, derivative of, of Israel or some derivative of Abraham because you've had this amazing experience. What do they call him? Shimshon. What does that mean? Son kid. Son kid, as in the son. Pretty much as close as you can get to a pagan name. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God faithful that even though they carry on messed up, which is what we're going to see next week, God fulfills his promise. So if we go away from here and we think, I've come to terms with this God, he's made his presence known to me, I trust him and I believe him. And we look and we say, I've now got to be everything. And at the first hurdle we find ourselves falling over. God is faithful. Believe it. Hold on to him. Don't hold on to what you can achieve. Because the saviour that is promised here has been delivered.